Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another thrilling episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm joined by the famous Doug Lawson. Hey, folks. How's it going? So good to have you here. So quick background. I saw Doug's content on LinkedIn, and it's very thought-provoking. He's also a finely handsome, bald gentleman like myself. So instantly, there was a bond. I want to start off with what you did very earlier in your career, and you were a teacher. Yes, I was. Yes. So help us understand what you taught and what drew you into that position. You did it for around six years, I believe, correct? Okay, seven, yes. Seven years, great. My life leading up to teaching was topsy-turvy. I actually worked in corporate America for a while. I worked at Old State Insurance. I did, you know, ridiculous stuff for them. <laughs> and I was, um, it just felt like I wasn't making impact. So I went back to school. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. So what kind of teaching? Why not special ed? Because, you know, I'm sort of a special ed kid myself. So why not try to make that impact and get out of corporate and start helping the next generation? And so that's how I got into it. I was in there for about seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of different schools. At this time in American education, they're trying to phase out tenure track teachers, right? Yeah. The way you do that is not to re up contracts. In order to be tenured, you have to have, in some system, five years in a row of teacher. Mm-hmm. You hit five your mark, you're automatically tenured. Wow. I never hit that mark. Constantly getting the pink shirt, having to find another school. Sometimes I will go back to the school that fired me a year ago oh because God. they were starting zero. So, that's the long story. Uh, so I did that for seven years. Then obviously, while you were teacher, you started to get this creative thought process. Like you, you started your own agency. Yeah. So towards the back end of teaching, I would say year five or six, um, I started a heavy shoulder. And <laughs> they, oh, as anybody knows, are incredibly expensive mm-hmm. living organism. And Teacher salary, my wife and I were teachers. Teacher salaries are, depending where you live in the country, not optimal. And so I needed to find a way to make more money to pay the rent, pay for diapers, formulas, things like that. And I was a good writer already because I love to write on my own private time. Mm-hmm. And I just looked for ways to monetize writing for other people. So I first started ghostwriting for other people. But that's really hard to get. So I needed to find a way to sort of make money when I come home at 4 o'clock from school. Sure. 4 to about 11 at night, every single night. And the one way I could do that was copywriting. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got started with my agency. I would take on clients who forgot to beg. I would start to subcontract to other writers that I interacted with wow. and bring them in. So yeah, that's how I got started. You know, it's interesting. My wife is a teacher as well. So we can completely relate. It's a challenging thing to do is to raise a family on two teachers' incomes. 
And the reason I asked the question I wanted to start there is because I don't know that people who see your current LinkedIn persona recognize the hard work that was put into play. You had a natural gift of writing, but the fact that you spent you know, six, eight hours every night building that business and putting in the time back when content writing and copywriting was... I think a lot of people consider it a lost art, but it's such... Everything is copywriting that you see in LinkedIn in a different format. I am not a copywriting piece of- you know, there's a lot of copywriting pieces who get on their soapbox and mm-hmm. tell the world how copywriting came. But you know what? Copywriting is everywhere. What is your concept of, of it or not? Copywriting is really just how does this structure work influence you? So does it influence you to buy? Then great. You've got good copywriting skills. Correct. Uh, it's just that most people are not intentional about what they're writing to influence a reader to take a particular action. And so by calling yourself a copywriter, it just simply means that you follow fundamentals of persuasion. I know a lot of copywriters would get upset with me for saying that, but it really, you're influencing, you're persuading mm-hmm. people to either cut this CTI or buy this product or like me or not. Or my brand and not to stick around long enough. Sure. You no, know, either way, you know, so copywriting is just a more intentional way of influencing the other person. So when you mentioned that you were writing as a bit of your passion early when you were teaching, what were you writing at that time? Were you writing stories or books or what would you write? I grew up reading all okay. the time. I loved to read. I was always chucking books out at the library. I always enjoyed literature and Ernest Hemingway, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I always had it in my mind that I would sort of take that track too. But writers make even less money than um, <laughs> teachers. I mean, uh, the dream of writing just shipped or transferred into a different sort of writing. I haven't lost the core of what I would like to do, which is entertain and be thought-provoking, even if I became a successful writer, my writing style would be pretty similar to what you see on LinkedIn. Maybe not the whole toilet paper script where everything, one, par- one sentence is the whole paragraph, but to the point, bold, in your face, so like me, 100%. So yeah, I would, love to, I would have loved to be the next earnest Hemingway. Well, you know, when you're, now that you're exploring TikTok and you're producing videos, I have to tell you, there are very few people that can produce a TikTok video without saying anything and make it compelling, right? And your facial expressions, your movements, the way you drop the text in, particularly the facial expressions. I'm watching it and I'm seeing the text and I I just somehow know what you're thinking. (laughs) It's very effective. So I want to drill down a little bit in this. Obviously, for people hearing this podcast, recognize that you have a hearing issue, right? So how long have you had this? Yeah, I'm probably that in both years. So I lost both ears. When I was about 18 months old, I had okay. spinal meningitis. Sure. It just blew out the nerve in my ears. So yeah, even though I'm wearing this big headphone thing, it's pretty loud in here. So I have a little bit of hearing that. But just enough to know when you stop talking so I can talk. That's all I have these headphones on. So it doesn't seem awkward with the flow of the conversation. Otherwise, I can't hear the thing you're saying. 
So for those that don't know, we are using closed captioning. Uh, Doug can at least see, yep. hopefully, what I'm saying. And I'm, <laughs> I can't imagine what it looks like as I'm talking because it means that I'm hopefully speaking articulately. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever watched your Packers game at a bar or an airport where they have the captioning. Yeah. And I captioning. Well, the same thing. It's slightly delayed, but 90% accurate. I, my brain takes care of the rest. So when you think about your ability to write, and I'm guessing that you, you approach writing differently because you're not experiencing the same way most people do when they hear or music. You've got to really figure out how to convey your emotions and your thoughts and the written word differently. So not only are you passionate about it, but you're certainly gifted at it. So you're, when you started writing and doing copywriting and you were a consultant, you've morphed into a bit more of not only the copywriting, but also helping people understand how to manage a sales funnel or a marketing funnel where writing's part of that. So describe more about the total view of what, you're, of what you do today. And let's maybe drill down into a couple areas. Okay. So what I do today is I basically divide my business into two separate parts. One part of the business is I coach people on how to create their own content and put together strategy to... Um, be out influence on LinkedIn or Instagram mm-hmm. or Facebook. And the other side of the house, I do the writing for small business owners or medium-sized companies that don't want to pay 10 grand a month for these types of services. So I'm down in the middle. I'm between Fiverr and a $10,000 a month agency. Very uh, good. So in both cases, I'm helping small business owners, and 100% of them come from LinkedIn, purely from LinkedIn. It used to be Twitter. I used to be on Twitter all the time. I got burned out by that. But my funnel is Twitter, I mean, uh, LinkedIn, for the last two and a half years. So that's basically my business. So let me ask you a, a question, Doug, and this might be running through the heads of some of our listeners. If I'm a small business owner, and let's say we have 100 small business owners listening to the podcast right now, which by the way, would be a record for me. That'd be wonderful. We might have a dry cleaner that's listening to this. We might have somebody that builds fittings for plumbers, very different businesses. How do you, as a contract writer, put your head into the mindset of that small business owner and their customer and shape the content accordingly? What does that process look like? So it really depends, number one, what you're selling. It also depends Who's your market at? Okay, so I don't have a stock answer for every business owner. When we get on a call, our kickoff call, we spend hours talking about your business, things mm-hmm. out. What are we selling? Who are your competitors? What are they doing? What are they selling? How, what is their price point? What are they offering? What's your offer? What was your highest sales month? What were you doing? And the highest sales month. So I really ever start writing without enough data to begin. You know, so many people reach out to me on DM. Doug, why do you think I'm not doing what? I have no idea. Um, I need to hop on a call with you and figure out what you're doing and for you to share what you've done first of all. So let's go with the dry cleaning example. Now, that's a price point business. But I have been to cleaners where I would prefer to pay more for this service than go to the cheapest cleaner in town because of their offer. You know, 
they constructed the offer to be, in my mind, really enticing. Just for example, there's a keynote um, that shows us something like two ninety five for shows, right? Mm-hmm. And the other one is something like four fifty. But the thing about four fifty, your pants are fake. So I can show it. Ah. But if you add them up, they're almost similar to the same. You're talking pennies on the dollar. But the way they designed the offer was generous. Like, you're making me feel like I'm saving when I'm really not saving. Okay. You know, I, so that would be the example of a dry cleaner. No, if you're not cleaning T-shirts and you're selling consulting services, it's based on credibility, mm-hmm. skin in the game, trust, mm-hmm. transparency, and your fitness philosophy when you're attacking this particular industry. And my goal as a copywriter or content writer is to combine all of these into a powerful narrative. Okay. Whatever, whichever channel we decide to work on, if it's 100% LinkedIn, that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. If it's a mix of different platforms, that's also a different plan. But at the end, it's about understanding why people buy consultants. They buy it to, one, solve a problem. Yep. But generally speaking, people hate consultants. <laughs> they they do. Because yeah. they feel like most consultants just simply come in, write on a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. See, that's what you need to do. Now, where's my $10,000? You know, they don't like that. You know? But there are some really good consultants that I've worked for who are so good at what mm-hmm. they but they can't get that across because they're competing with thousands of consultants. Most of them are terrible. But Correct. that's really good message. So how do we stand out? That's what we think about. So if you're a small business owner, you need to think about, okay, what do my audience need? What do they want? What are they considering right now? What do they need to experience to make a decision right now? And what's my competition doing? And combine all of that and put a strategy in place to... Deliver. So that's typically what I do, either on the coaching side or doing it for you side. So, Doug, uh, a question that I, I get asked very often is this concept of quantity versus quality, right? A lot of people on LinkedIn say you've got to post seven days a week, you've got to post multiple times, you know, and it doesn't matter how good it is, it just has to be out there. So, when you think about your own strategy, and I do follow your content on LinkedIn, you're consistent, you've got a brand. Are you thinking? Is it both or is it which way do you lean, con, you know, quality versus quantity? So I, again, this depends on mm-hmm. platform, channel, competition, audience type. For me, personally, I post no more than five times a week. Most okay. times I post four times a week. I take weekends off from posting. I take holidays off from posting mm-hmm. because I want to. And, yeah. and LinkedIn, because I build it up to allow me to do that. So I would say when you're first starting out on any platform, more is better than uh, quality. Why? Because nobody knows you. That You're still growing your audience. Sure. So when you first sign on a platform, you have 500 people in your network. Depends on which platform we're on. We're talking about LinkedIn. If I post something on LinkedIn with 500 people, 500 connections, LinkedIn will only share that with maybe less than 5% of that. So sure. maybe two people are going to read that. So I've got to build. Mm-hmm. I've got to build that audience on LinkedIn specifically 
to a point where I can start to dial back on content it and start ramping up quality. But I say if you're just starting, you have a small network, you got to get more stuff out there. you got to get more people to see sure. Doug or Peter or Bob or Jane mm-hmm. over and over again. The first part is getting the name in front of mine. And then after you feel based on your metric, that, okay, now it's time to downshift and rethink the strategy and then go back up with less horsepower. So my content was be bold and powerful. When I first got on LinkedIn, when I made the transition from Twitter to LinkedIn, my content was often, two times a day, seven yeah. days a week, often, boom, boom. And I built it up to probably about 5,000 connections. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, this is good enough for me. Now I'm going to do it the way I want to. Right. And quality for me is always superior to quantity in most cases, but not mm-hmm. in all cases. You know, when you think when you had 5,000 connections, when did you start to generate a tremendous amount of inbound customer requests versus you reaching out to customers? So I always, always in the last, so my business is probably 11 years old. I don't recall a month in 11 years. I have not had an inbound. So while I made the transition from Twitter to LinkedIn, I was still working with Twitter people. I still had my client base. I still had referral stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So the transition over uh, wasn't as brutal as most people transition because most people start with nothing. Mm-hmm. But I had something to move over. And I gave myself about five or six months. And I said, I'm going to give this six months. If I don't get equitable returns, as I do on Twitter, I'm going back and rethinking my plan. And my goal was to leave Twitter. It's a toxic, just poor, it's a viper pet. Um, <laughs> it, and going, a slight change, going back to your uh, quantity versus quality on Twitter, you might post seven to 12 times a day. Yes. Because the algorithm is different. Mm-hmm. If you post at 7 a.m. on Twitter, uh, it's gone for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's only available at 7 a.m. for about an hour before the algorithm just moves it. So you need to keep posting on Twitter. That's part of the reason I left, because it's a burnout to come up yeah. with four pieces of content seven days a week for eight years, which I did. Uh, so anyway, I started making some substantial gains on LinkedIn six months in. Okay. And once I started getting those DMs that said, hey, dog, can we talk more often? Then I knew I could downshift building my network and focus on quality content and getting the right type of client. When you talk to a customer and they, and they say, hey, Doug, we need to talk. We're not generating enough demand for our products or services. Are you spending, and by the way, I'm a former chief revenue officer, CEO, so I, I've had this conversation with people and I've been just as frustrated. Companies being more receptive to the fact that this is not just a single point solution, right? They probably just can't go to LinkedIn and do a post. They've got to think about where, as you mentioned earlier, where are their customers? What do they need? What do they sell? And when you think about your clients, what percentage of your clients are omni-channel, which means they're using multiple different social networks 
Are most of them doing that or only a few of them doing that? So my companies, the, the people who have five to 20 employees mm-hmm. are multi-channel. Okay. My entrepreneurs, my solopreneurs, the majority of them are one channel. And that is because they feel like they don't understand how you can reproduce across content. At that point, that's when they hire me. So strange. My coaching business is actually a Trojan horse to get you to hire me to be your writer. Mm. So I started purposely lower for coaching. My coaching, comparable to other coaches, is a joke because it's a lead magnet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first month with me. I'm going to give you everything I've got. And you're going to realize, oh, I need dump to do it. Yeah. So anyway, um, you do need to be multi-channel for the most part. And there are ways to do it without pulling your hair out and repurposing long-form content into micro-content without breaking your budget. So I would say companies are always multi-channel. Individual, almost always, are single-channel. Mm-hmm. Very good. And when you say long-form content broken down into micro-content, could you give our listeners an example of perhaps a video long-form content and a written piece of long-form content and what you would do with it? So let's use this, for example. So if I was your writer, mm-hmm. when you're done with this call, you're going to send me the video. And I'm going to make a blog out of this call, maybe three of them if I wanted to, mm-hmm. which is another form of long-form content. From this video, I can chop this up into micro clips, so 90-second yes. clips that can be distributed on LinkedIn or Instagram, not yeah. TikTok. TikTok does better with native content, yes. meaning your camera and you talk. Yeah. yeah. Well, like Instagram, you can take podcast clips and it can do well. But before you even put on a gap, I will, you and I have to talk because, because you can't have boring gaps. You have to have gaps that are impactful. Yes. That have great sound bites that have proof that they have value to get to your audience, that your audience wants to eat up and digest. So anyway, I would take this clip, break it down, turn them into blog, blog into posts, post into quotes, and then I would give them into my graphic artist to turn those quotes into visual text for Twitter or Instagram or yep. what have you. So this podcast alone probably works depending how much you and I have great things to say could be up to 20 pieces of content. Well, you mentioned earlier that your consulting is kind of a giveaway because after a month of working with you, people realize, Doug, I need you to do this. And I want people to really pay attention to this part. Marketing is a black art mixed with science. It is a constant battle in understanding your customer, where they need to be met. And last, last touch attribution is kind of a, to me, it's ridiculous because people meander so many different places to find your content and where they end up may have nothing to do with that last touch. By the way, the funny thing is, Doug, I consult with a couple of different companies. And the first thing I'm going to do when we hang up in this podcast is I'm going to make an introduction to you to those companies because you've sold me already. Because I understand how complex this is. And I totally get not only knowing what to write, but then what to do with that content, right? Like you said, if I could break this down into a couple smaller videos at 90 seconds and then break that into a couple quotes and then a couple images, and then take those and turn them into visuals, 
you know, there's a lot of methodology to this and you have to be consistent in your messaging. So when you're talking to a client and they say to you, Doug, how long will this take? How do you respond to that? I have to respond to that by a, not losing the client. So I have to tell them not so much a lie, but it could take anywhere from three to six months. Three to six months. Or how can we get quicker when? You're going to have to go on PPC and mm-hmm. shove promos down and compete with the competitors on PricePort. And then you're going to place yourself out of business really quick. Yeah. So three to six months, and you're right. And by the way, I'm not going to be able to attribute where any of these people are coming from in most cases. And there's a look on their face that I'm a crap. But I say to I always have to bring it back to them. When was the last time you bought consulting services or you hired XYC? Okay, where did you find them? And they said, oh, I, I saw them on social media. Oh, great. And how long did you track them? Oh, it took me a couple months. I wasn't completely sold on. Okay, so how would you know where, at which point that post was the post that converted you. Correct. It's the totality. It's the surround sound. So you maybe saw a podcast. Your brain didn't see it because you're on YouTube. Or maybe you saw LinkedIn. And then you saw maybe something on Instagram. Either way, you can't attribute any of those things to a direct metric. Correct. Right? The only way you could do that is to ask them on the call. So how did you find me? And... Most people don't ask that. They go straight for the sale, right? I always ask, how did you find me? Oh, LinkedIn, of course, great. Mm-hmm. Was there something about my content that made you resonate or want to talk to me? I've just been following you for a while, Doug. You're great, you're bold, you're powerful. Oh, you can't write a metric on that, which unfortunately makes me lose a lot of clients because you can't attribute LinkedIn data you can try, but it's really right. difficult. Well, it is. And I think what people who have been posting on LinkedIn consistently will recognize one of your posts might get 30,000 views, another one might get 500. And you really poured your blood, sweat, and tears into the 500. If you were just purely going on LinkedIn data, you'd be really frustrated. You may not recognize that that one that only got 500 will convert the best. You don't recognize maybe that was a video versus a text post. And you know when you mentioned three to six months... And you said, well, if not, the only way to shift that is maybe PPC or paid advertising. I think that what marketers need to understand and people that you're talking to as potential clients is that you're trying to help them create demand, right? There are ways to generate leads, but your business is built on demand, Doug. You've created a brand, a message, and eventually people, you said, I saw you three months ago, but it took me three months to realize, hey, this Doug guy... There was one of his posts two weeks ago, Doug, that you said something. It triggered a response, but this last one made me call you. But that wasn't what triggered it, right? It was just... Exactly. So when you think about your superpowers, Doug, now that you're doing more video work, how do you see other platforms evolving for you, like TikTok, for example? And I know you shoot a TikTok video and repurpose it on LinkedIn. How's that been working? Let's go to the reason why I'm on TikTok. So Mm -hmm. I've been pure writing to sell my services. So most of the time, 
but not all the time people come over because my writing's good and mm-hmm. I made my point and I demonstrated proof that I can write. But lately, I've been feeling that based on my type of clients I've been attracting and how often they come up. It's been on the decline for, I would say, a year. And I would say, okay, so what's missing here? What am I, what am I missing? And I realized I'm missing me. You know, they don't see me. They see my writer. Yes, you can get these with writing alone. Mm-hmm. But you can't get the, the, it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say. can't get the, most of my DM now since I've been on TikTok, they don't want a sales call. They just want to know my price. Hey, Doug, what is the price? I just got to work with you. I've gotten a lot of those. They, That's remarkable. That, like, can you tell me a little bit more about what you do? So the, the, the type of feedback I'm getting is dramatically different. So the reason why I run on TikTok is because I've got to get me out there. And I don't want to do long-form video. I don't want to have to hire a editor. A, I don't want to hire, I don't want all these fancy gear to make these really snazzy, Shay Bottom type of video. Nothing against Shay Bottom. That's your type of marketing. Don't yeah. do it. it. It attracts a lot of attention. But it's time to show me. And the cost, the CAC for me, doesn't justify the outcome. So sure. I need a, a more organic way to get myself out there. So TikTok was the next best thing. Also on TikTok, you don't have to nurture the audience, right? You can post. Obviously, you shouldn't post and go. You don't have to. TikTok does not care how many followers you have. I don't care how active you are on the platform. The it, algorithm is different than Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, which is dependent on how much time you invest in the platform. TikTok, not so much. So I, I knew I needed that. You know, I'm busy. You and I are busy people. We're busy. And content creation takes a lot of time. It and does. I devote the least amount of time to my own content. Comparably, you know, so I so I make videos on TikTok. Surprisingly enough, on TikTok, I don't get much engagement or traction. But when I cross-post it to LinkedIn, I write a long-form post. My metrics are through the roof. I've never had better metrics in two and a half years on LinkedIn. I'm talking typical vanity metrics. That is common. That is size. But actual metrics. Quality of conversations in the DM, sales call, uh, sales that I've able, I'm able to generate. From them. So these last three weeks have been my highest sales period in 11 years. In three weeks, I, I am performing above average. What does that tell me? People wanted to meet me. So, Doug, you, everything you said there is an incredible endorsement for the power of video. I want to drill down into one thing that you said, people want to meet you. So what they need to understand, what you have effectively have done in a 30-second TikTok, that's the first sales call. They now know you. They know your personality. They know what they're getting. You can't pull that across in a text. I would say text. Unfortunately for my business, text works. Don't get sure. me wrong. Yeah. Text is longer. Text is it's just a slow burn, but it burns hot. Once it, yeah. 
Graham Chop. But I didn't video into your mix. Just pour the water much quicker. Well, pours the water much quicker. I love that. And the key thing you mentioned there is they're not texting you for a meeting. They're not, they're reaching out and saying, what's the price, Doug? I have to work with you. That's very just, different, right? It's just very different. Simply just say, hey, you and I are going to work together. Just let me know, what do I need to do? To stop? I've never had that. Typically, I have, so I've been following you for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's time for us to meet. Okay, here's my calendar. Uh, we get on a call and it's a whole bunch of feeling me out. And then the price comes up. We were TikTok in the last three weeks. I haven't had that type of conversation. The kickoff calls directly. Let's get to work. So, Doug, you mentioned you have kids. They're expensive organisms. How old are your kids today? So my oldest is 13. My youngest is 10. How do they feel about having their dad on TikTok? They blocked me. Both of them <laughs> blocked me on TikTok. It's cringe. It's they are genuinely imbalanced. Yeah. You see, I actually, if you're not familiar with TikTok, I actually showed up on their feed without them following me. I was like, why are you on my TikTok? Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm watching you. Anyway, they both blocked me. They don't want anything to do with it, which I, I consider an accomplishment. Yeah. By the way, you've, hit, you've struck a nerve. Your content is funny enough and thoughtful enough. They're like, ooh, yeah. Doug, when you see your company and your firm and what you're doing, is your next challenge going to be scaling what you do and your ability to drive quality? How do you get comfortable bringing additional resources on to help you kind of extend your brand? Well, my next challenge for my business is how do I have a business where I'm not there all the time? Yeah. And that's what I'm working on. Is you're going to buy me for my brand. Not me as a commodity. Yes. So I'm trying to shift away from being a commodity into a brand. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, let's use an example your audience might know. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Okay? Tony Robbins, the motivational guru, people will pay thousands to see him in an arena. In an arena. You know we're going to talk to him. He's never going to shake your hand, but you will hand him $1,000 to go to, you know, the Bradley Center in Milwaukee and hear him. Yeah. You know, that's because he has a powerful brand. Sure. And not only that, after the show, you're going to pay for one of his coaches to coach you, not Tony. Exactly. His coach. He has a team of coaches. By the way, I'm not advocating for this. I'm not saying it's positive or negative. I'm just saying the power of his brand. You're never going to meet Tony, but you'll give him, you're going to pay for his private jet. You're going to pay for his private island. I'm not saying I want to be Tony Robbins. I'm just saying I can't keep doing that. I'm 40 years old. I can't sustain this kind of output through my 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, it's not sustainable. This is copywriting or content writing is a young man's game. Yeah, well, and you mentioned, you know, Tony Robbins puts his head down at the Fister that night and he's making money. That's the objective. That's the goal. That's the goal. So it's thoughtful, Doug, that you're trying to figure out how to extend your brand and to make products and services that can live on without you, right? So packaging it, making it more appropriate, building out modules. I think that's a really good approach. 
thing I would love to do with is manage teams to mm-hmm. write. And I do do that on a small scale, but I can't do that too mm-hmm. often because most clients want me to do the writing. Sure. Instead of the brand to do the writing. So I, I'm trying to get away from me doing the writing. I would love to write for brands that I feel passionate about. That would be my, so I could put all my passion into it. And not to say that other people's companies, the brand, think just maybe I'm not that inspired by it. But we can do an effective job for you. But I don't need to be that. I can sure. edit, the strategy, training the team, everything flows through me to sign up before we post. That would be the dream. As well as have the products for you to buy from me. So I'm working on that as we speak. I have a couple of teachable in the draft that I'm building. And I'm trying to figure out the best message and petitioning to do that long term. So, yeah, the goal for me, and I think for most people, is how to work it out and either maintain the same amount of money or scale it. Sure. Absolutely. You know, I think it's fascinating how you've evolved from a special ed teacher to pursuing your passion of writing and turning it an actual into a business. And then, you know, evolving that, right, which is not just the content itself, but where to put it, when to put it, and how to rethink your brand. When you think about your ideal customer, so our listeners can understand it, who's the ideal person for you to work with? Typically, I work well with people who can take feedback. Okay. Even when I'm writing for you, because you're the final, you have the final say on it, you can take my feedback with me. Most people, I think you've experienced it being a crowd. Is that a lot of marketing is coming into it. It doesn't feel like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so when I put forth the strategy, I build out the content for you to read it. You don't get it. For example, six months ago, Simon Chen, who owns a transportation company out of Boulder, Colorado, uh, wanted me to write email to sell shuttle rides. And I said, okay, and I figured out who his target audience was. And Simon is the kind of guy who will listen. And obviously, he's not a pushover. He has strong opinions about things. Sure. But he will listen, and he will give you a chance. And so I wrote a bunch of email telling corny dad jokes, really corny dad jokes, which is totally intuitive to most emails that you see on the market, yeah. which are, $25, you get blah, blah, blah. I didn't even mention that. I just had the, the question and the headline and the wind shot in the uh, body of the copy. And Simon, at first, like, what were you doing? You have to understand, based on your data, 86% of your clients who bought uh, older people, meaning 50 and up, yeah. and they're mostly done by women. So I'm not taking even though you think we're taking the business guy who flies out of town. Well, who do you think fucking his flight or his shuttle, his wife? And that sounds really sexist and all that. But that's what the day to tell you. And so I wrote to older women. And I know when I hang out with my grandma or my older aunt, and I tell stupid, silly, corny jokes from the 50s, they like, they laughed so hard. They, I told a joke about Johnny Beans, Ronald Reagan, things like that. It got, it got the highest open rate and the highest click through and the most sales. So anyway, um, I 
do that with clients who trust me and who are in touch. There's a lot of them who take weeks to get in touch with them. And I'm like, can we post now? Can I get your approval on sure. that? And then when it comes time to pay the next month invoice, that, but you didn't post anything. Why am I paying for that? Because you haven't been around, man. Right. You need to approve everything. So anyway, I like people who trust and experiment and who, who want to live outside the box. Well said. I think it's true. In marketing is a whole new game. You can't apply the marketing tactics of five years ago today. You have to be constantly experimenting. I've done a lot of these podcasts. I don't know that I've had one where there has been as much tangible value. So I, I'm very grateful. Thanks, he, man. This, this will help a lot of marketing people. It will change where I think I want to post and repost this and how I tag this because there's so many golden nuggets in here. I'm sold. I might be a customer. Some friends of mine will be customers, but very grateful you took the time to eat some crow with us today and we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you for having me. I know this has been months in the making. Yes. We, you first reached out to me, I think back in April and then my son hated me, blah, blah, blah. Here we are. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. How's your son doing, by the way? He's doing well. He has to have rehab. He plays lacrosse. So he painted it me and twitched it during a move. And it's just like a really bad knee sprain. So yeah. rehab and set, he's laying in bed right now. So rehab and laying in bed, that's all he does. <laughs> and Sound, hangs out on TikTok all day. Sounds like a teenager. Exactly. <laughs> Doug, it's All been right, a pleasure. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, hope thank you, you so much. I appreciate hope it. Hope your audience gets a lot out of it. I know they will. Thanks again. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video. 